and welcome to the 26th episode of Out in Left Field, a baseball podcast presented by the Trash Can League Network. I am your host, Ryan Bexton, and along with me today is a special guest, radio announcer for Mizzou Tigers College Baseball, Matt Michaels. We've got a lot of baseball discussion ahead, so let's get started while we still have time. And welcome to the 26th episode of Out in Left Field. Quick update on the last, since we last recorded, uh, State of Major League Baseball. Um, David Ortiz was the only person to make the Hall of Fame for this year. Um, you know, Bonds and Clemens fell off the ballot, so they'll have to, you know, go back to the Veterans Committee in order to have a chance to make it. Uh, the MLB and the MLBPA still haven't reached agreement on anything, and opening day's in jeopardy. Fun times. So welcome to another happy, happy, fun, fun edition of Lockout Baseball. This sadly means that as of now, baseball doesn't exist. Except that it does. Joining me today for this episode is in fact not one of our regular co-hosts, but a man who believes that baseball does exist and is just as alive as ever. Coming to you 100% from the University of Missouri-Columbia at Taylor Stadium, please welcome our first special guest that hasn't been a teacher of mine. Mizzou Tigers baseball radio announcer, Matt Michaels. Well, I'm happy to be here, Ryan. I do believe in baseball, actually. It is a thing. It exists. It happens in places. It's going to happen in this ballpark today, and I'm really happy to be joining you today. All right. So you graduated from Mizzou in 2009. Uh, so let's do a quick word test. Kansas Jayhawks. Um, I, I can't vomit on the air. <laughs> That's what I'm looking for. So I think we'll be good for today. Um, so to kick us off, Mr. Michaels, let's see. How would you describe your job, in your own words, as related to Mizzou baseball? Well, I feel like my job's a little bit of everything. The first and most important thing is along with uh, play-by-play voice text little, we have to bring the game to the fan. You know, we have to find a way to relay everything that's happening with the ball club over the course of a long season and also over the course of every game, every pitch, every inning, and do it in a way that's entertaining and accurate. I think that that's the number one goal. For me personally, I kind of take it as as a goal to help um, kind of grow what Mizzou baseball is and and can be. I I really care deeply about this team. I've, I've cared about the Tigers ever since I arrived in Columbia back in 2005, so I kind of see that as a secondary goal for myself, but the most important thing is making sure that the listener understands, in an entertaining way, what's going on with this ball club on the field and relaying that story, good, bad, or otherwise, and and making it something that people want to follow from game one to game 56 and beyond. Yeah. Uh, That's that's quite simply put what everything is. Uh, You know... Good team this year so far. We're seven and one, which we'll get to a bit later. But let's focus on more of just baseball in general first. So, what does baseball mean to you? Wow. Um, I 
people, I think, instinctually say nostalgia, right? Because they think about times that they were growing up and went to the ball game, and that's where I kind of fell in love with baseball, is going to a lot of Chicago Cubs games with my dad. Sorry. Yeah, I knew I was going to get that reaction. That's fine with my dad and my family. Totally not biased. But, but I feel like people who enjoyed the, the game of baseball fell in love with it for some reason, and... Uh, I love it for those reasons. Uh, I played very poorly and not at a high <laughs> level at all, but it, it's the game that I wanted to stick the most at and, and try the most at. And, you know, just kind of when you get the hook in you, you're really hooked for it. So it, it means memories to me. And, and to me, it means passion watching these guys play on the field. You know, it, Major League Baseball, like you said, has issues of money and real lives and families and all that stuff plays in the real world and not that nobody does play in the fantasy land right but the, I think the we college, all kind of do that yeah a, a little <laughs> bit but the college baseball player the passion you see in the game the want to there's there's a hunger there really it doesn't mean that it's going to be the highest level that you ever seen played but it is something that you can't get anywhere else which is what it means to the players on the field to be successful when they when they put on the uniform of their home school and I think that means a little bit something extra to me too to see that and understand that that's something that I'd like to be associated with and and they associate with every single day when they put on the uniform. I think there's a certain level of dedication too because a lot of these kids aren't even getting you know full scholarships to play so a lot of them are you know paying to play baseball here for the University of Missouri Columbia so it's kind of definitely a different level of uh, dedication that you know you wouldn't see possibly in you know football because you get a lot more full ride scholarships to that sport. But yeah, it's definitely different than you know a lot of other sports. Which is, as one of our co-hosts say, a perfect segue into my next question. So what do you think makes baseball stand out from other sports? Well, hey, there's no clock. You always have a chance. It's great to always have an opportunity. You might be down 10 runs in the ninth inning, but doggone it, if you find a way to put it together at the last, you've put it together at the last. They don't time you out for it. I, I think that what also makes it distinct is the level of readiness and you see this in other bat and ball sports and it's kind of unique to them like in basketball the game's always moving and flowing football it's a little bit more regulated but the same thing actions going on all around you and it's about the team aspect in baseball it's about the team aspect but in an individual way when the ball's hit to you you're usually the only player who has a play on it sometimes it's not quite the case but an outfielder's got to make the play you either succeed or you fail, and you have to be ready for that play mm -hmm. at any time during the game. Yeah. So I, I think it's having a standard of high play and high readiness. The mental part of baseball is probably much more difficult for these athletes than the physical part that they've honed over years and years and years. And I, I think that in a lot of other sports, your physicality can take you to the top and in the game of baseball if you're not a tactician and you're not thinking about the game in whatever you're doing you're behind it really is a mental game at least as much as it is a physical one as the great yogi Berra said baseball is 90 percent mental and the other half physical isn't mm -hmm. so you said that perfectly um with that being said what do you think because you've been broadcasting for mizzou since because i 
You're a very hard man to track down on, on the internet to do a little research on. I literally had your Twitter biography and that was it. And I know you've been broadcasting since after 2015. Mm -hmm. That's about I know. So when did you start? Uh, I off? started on with uh, the Mizzou baseball team when Steve Beezer actually had his first season. So that was 2017. 2017. I knew uh, it was after 2015. Yeah, I've been involved with the Tiger Radio Network in some form or fashion for about that long. So six years, maybe seven, they all blend together over a while. But but six years in the booth with Tex, and I can tell you, you know, there have been ups and downs, but every single part of it is satisfying. You know, there's not a lot of people who get the privilege to go to their alma mater and have people at their alma mater say, hey, I want you to bring these stories to... Uh, to, you know other fans mm -hmm. and as as a college sports fan as a Mizzou fan there are not a lot of people out there who get to have that privilege so I'm, I'm blessed every day to have the chance to do it yeah and just for you folks at home listening uh Mr. Michaels mentioned Tex Tex is the other radio announcer he works with uh Tex Little Tex is basically the equivalent of Mike Shannon of the St. Louis Cardinals he's been here forever so I mean you know he's a classic in, in Mizzou so it's I mean it's probably it's certainly a, definitely an honor to, you know, broadcast alongside one of the greats in, uh, you know, Mizzou broadcasting history. Yeah, and, and I've learned a lot from Tex. I believe this is year 32 for him. Had a couple of years in the middle where uh, he had some other things to do, but just of broadcasting Missouri baseball 32 years, and uh, if it wasn't for Tex Little and his efforts uh, back in the late 80s, uh, there wouldn't necessarily be Mizzou baseball broadcasts as they are today. You know, he actually got the whole thing started, I believe, with a schedule of about eight games a year. Yeah, that's what it was. On, uh, on KTGR Radio in Columbia. Yeah. It was and, a side job. And it's just one that uh, grew and grew and became full schedules down the road. And now, you know, a lot of things have changed around it, but the essence of it is still the same text in that chair. And you want to talk about, you know, the voice of a certain program or a certain team. Well, as long as they've been on the radio, it's been <laughs> it's been pretty much Tech's little show. And yeah. so uh, it, it really is an honor and uh, a privilege to get to work with him and learn a little bit mm -hmm. from him. I, so you said you've been working for Mizzou Baseball for about six or seven years. Mm -hmm. That's a lot of games in the booth. So what have you seen the sport of college baseball trending towards? Well, it's trending a lot more towards what the professionals have done, and it seems that the pros lead in some ways and then college follows or vice versa in some areas. Uh, I think this game is a much more analytically driven game than it once was. You know, when Steve Beezer came to Columbia, uh, the Tigers put in a TrackMan system, the radar that tracks, you know, where the ball goes and how the launch angle, how far it flies. And that was kind of revolutionary even in the SEC at that time in 2017. And that data was kind of like a trade secret. You didn't want to talk about it too much. It was... <laughs> It was not something that everybody in the league had, and Missouri was actually ahead of the curve in the SEC for utilizing some of that information, and it only took a couple of years and everybody had it. Like That's mm -hmm. where the game is going, breaking down mechanics, breaking down swing planes, all that sort of thing. is It's a different level of preparation. It's not as much on feel. It is on mechanics and tweaking, and I feel like that can be a good thing and sometimes a bad thing, depending on how you use it. But uh, for the most part, that's where the game has gone. Today's player wants so much information, and that's not just the professionals who, you know, back in the 80s when they were going over videotape and people said, are you crazy? I just show up from carousing the night before, and here I am, and I'm going after it. It's, it's a different sort of game, and I know that these players work really hard on their craft and digest a lot of information to play at peak performance. 
And uh, I feel like that's one of the ways in which it's changed a lot, even over the brief time that I've been following it very closely. That being said, what kind of stats person are you? Are you like more old school? Are you more new school? Are you kind of like halfway in the middle? Well, I look at it the way that a fan would look at it, which is, you know, if there's a situation on the field, I believe situational stats are really good because they can at least tell you how someone has performed if you have a big enough sample of evidence mm -hmm. in that spot in the past. And so maybe not 2020. You, yeah, <laughs> and maybe instruct you on how things will go in the future. And, you know, for instance, this young in a college baseball season, you won't have all those numbers yet. If you had them historically, you know, they might be worth using. Um, I, I like OPS as an overall measure of how someone's doing, but I don't always necessarily use it in a broadcast unless it's very impressive. Because I think for some fans, even slugging percentage, fans don't understand what a good one Hi. or a bad one is. <laughs> but I will say, like on base percentage, I think everybody understands that. Yeah, yeah. In fact, I don't like to use it as a, you know, say someone has a 452 on base percentage. I say, this guy's on base 45% of the time he steps mm -hmm. to bat. I think that's a little bit more relatable to a fan and they say, oh, okay, almost half the time he gets up there, he's on and contributing to an offense. All right, I understand that. I think that breaking stats down in a way that a fan, a casual fan, can understand them and digest them and use them is the way that I try to interpret what goes on with all the numbers around the game. We're going to take a quick break here on Out in the Field. Don't go anywhere, because we'll be right back after this. Another thing, too, as a fan would understand, okay, the rules. We don't like them, but we have to have them. What's the one rule that if you could change or add, what would you add to college baseball? Oh, man, that's really interesting. Um, I'm not going to say the robot umps because that'll <laughs> no. get me in trouble as somehow. As an umpire myself and an official high school umpire in the state of Missouri, no. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I see value and I see lack of value in robot I see robot someone umps. taking my job. Yeah, well, there could be. I don't think it'll ever happen at the college level. I think high school, there's no way that's ever going to occur. But, um, you know, I, I think... I think what could occur is you could get you could get more interesting with the ways in which you deal with the game. I don't think the college game needs a lot of tweaking, honestly. Um, I kind of wish that some of the rules that are on the books would be enforced more regularly. You know, there's there's always been a rule about throwing a pitch in a certain amount of time. People get worked up about a pitch clock. Well, there's always been a rule about that. If you stall the mm -hmm. game, you can deliver a ball or a strike to yeah. anyone that's been on the books for a while. I, I kind of wish sometimes that the rules that are the unwritten rules of the game would either be written down or you know done away with. If, if there's a rule that I'd say do away with it, it's the unwritten rule. You know, it, there's a place for emotion in the sport of baseball. I truly believe it. And you can go about your business and be buttoned up after you do something good on the field. I, I don't necessarily believe in taunting an opponent, but I also don't believe that if you take a little bit of look at your handiwork when you hit a home run, that that's necessarily taunting your opponent either. You've got a lot of emotion. You've done a good thing for your team. I think that sports fans like it. I personally like it. And as long as everybody understands that nobody's doing it to rub it, rub somebody else's nose in it, I really don't have a problem with it. I'm I'm a new school person in that way, but maybe a traditionalist in some other ways. You know, base Absolutely. runners on second base when extra innings happen. Like, I don't like that. 
The major no. leagues with that no. pandemic rule. Nah, get rid of no. that. Like it was fun for a weekend, and then it just became you know gross. It's it, and it's different in the sport of softball where they do it to try to speed up a game, mm-hmm. and there might be fewer runs. But yeah, I, I'd say or more. <laughs> either make the unwritten rules written rules, or don't worry about them so much. Mm-hmm. It, maybe that's a cop out answer, but that's how I'd look at it. All right, so that's a lot of the general baseball questions. So I'd like to move more toward the zoo part of things. Mm-hmm. So more about this team that we have this year, um, kind of like that. So first off, what's your routine for a day in at, at Taylor Stadium here? Well, I arrive before the ball game, pretty well before the game. If, if we're not there for a home game at least two hours before first pitch, we're probably running late. Um, <laughs> and then... You know, get stuff situated in the booth. If there's anything to set up, which normally at home there isn't really, uh, make sure that that's done. And then about an hour and a half before first pitch, Missouri finishes its batting practice. And what I do is find a player to be a pregame guest for our 15-minute pregame show. Just a couple of minutes with them, but check in on how they're doing. You know, if I have time before the ball game and before that, go down around the cage, kind of talk to people, understand what's going on with the team that day. And, you know, this isn't really much of a problem at this level, but at the professional levels, you should always be present. You know, you should always be around the ball club because you're saying something about them every day. And word gets around. Literally. Sometimes you you have to say something that isn't so nice or somebody doesn't quite agree with and giving somebody a chance to come up and say, you know, hey, why did you do that or why did this come out? I feel like it's important as a broadcaster to always give someone that opportunity so you can say, well, it's because of this and this. That doesn't really happen a lot in my job with this team, but it can happen and it's something that you should be visible around the ball club so everybody understands, hey, we're on the same page, we're working for the same team here. Then once that's done, uh, come back to the booth and start to prep out. Get the lineups for the day as soon as I can. Uh, and then when I have them, I kind of write down some line scores in my book so I have them there, not just for the game, but for you know future use if I want to go back and see what mm-hmm. so-and-so is hitting on a particular day if he's in the lineup. Then I use it that way. Uh, and then I'll go probably back over and read some game notes, look up for tidbits on the starting pitchers for that day, and uh, that will take up a lot of my time before first pitch, you know, and it's, sometimes it's easy to get distracted, especially when you're at home because people are coming in and out, they're saying hello, uh, whatever the case may be, and they're happy distractions, but in the end, once you get to about 40, 45 minutes out from a first pitch, that's only about half an hour out from when our pregame show starts. Uh, I've got to be pretty locked into what I'm doing and trying to prepare for that day's game, and then when it's showtime, it's showtime, and the rest takes care of itself. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it comes that time where you kind of have to lock yourself in the room, you know, say, you know, time to turn the mic on, let's get going with this thing. Um, speaking of getting going, Tigers are again 7-1 and one after yesterday's home opener win with a 6-5 to five victory over the, um, see, Tarleton... Texans. Tarleton Texans. What was the actual full name? It's like something else they said. Well, uh, well, I was hearing the PA announcer Chris Abernathy say Texan Riders. Texan. And I think that may, I think that may be a little bit of a throwback. I think they like the Texans now more than anything else. But I mean, with any of these schools, ask them, ask them tomorrow. It'll be a different thing. <laughs> you know. Yeah. You got the timeless ones though. You got some of them that don't change. You know, Mizzou Tigers. I don't, that doesn't change too much. Uh, Ole Miss doesn't change too much. You know, those kind of uh, SEC teams, which you know. Uh, um, but uh, Tigers again are seven and one against non-conference teams. So 
from what you've seen from our boys in the black and gold, how do you think we're going to fare against SEC teams when they come around this year? Well, it remains to be seen. I think the good things you can say about this club are they face different types of tests and won ball games in different ways and done it with the depth of their roster. It hasn't all had to be Torin Montgomery and Luke Mann and Josh Day, who are the main returners to this offense. Absolutely, absolutely. It hasn't had to be all Spencer Miles carrying the club. You know, there's a lot of new faces in new places on this ball club, and some, especially on the pitching side, who are returning from injury and slowly working their way back up. But this is a group that's different from the group last year that really struggled. Um, I, I think that we still have to see them against competition both throughout the rest of this weekend against Tarleton, but Gonzaga will be a big test next weekend. Uh, the Zags are an NCAA tournament team from a season ago. They're probably the best out in the West Coast Conference or one of the best in the West Coast Conference. And so seeing them for four games will be a real good test before Missouri goes to league play. And I've said it for a long time, Missouri can hang in most years with just about anybody in the SEC. The question is, can you do the little things right? And can you take the mentality of, I, I belong being here. My preparation has me in the right place at the right time. And we've seen Missouri excel at that several times in the league. They understand that they're not the most talented team in the league. There are some guys, there are some teams with guys who turn down first round draft picks and first round money to be at the place they are in the SEC. None of the Missouri Tigers are like that, but what the Missouri Tigers are is a very cohesive ball club. They've got a reason to play together. And especially for those returners, they understand what the sting of losing is like. They don't want that again. It can be a really great motivator. So I think that this team's grit and attention to detail will have it fare well in the SEC if they're able to continue building towards the time we get to league opener in Nashville in a few weeks. A few weeks away. Um, you said, yeah, a lot was for the guys that are remaining, though. There's not very many, though, because uh, a lot of Mizzou last year was a weird team. We had a really good run differential, but it wasn't a very good record. Uh, so it's kind of from a disappointing standpoint from that. Uh, I heard we, you know, we lost our best pitcher through the transfer portal. A lot of the team left. So would you say it's more of just like a new ball club this year? Well, it feels like a new ball club, and a lot of years it feels new in its own way because of the transfer portal. Uh, transfers are a part of college baseball. It's just the way it is. Junior college transfers especially, as Missouri has used them. But this year, with the COVID transfers and extra eligibility, they have a lot more from other places. Austin Morozas, who we haven't seen yet and is getting healthy from Charlotte. Uh, Austin Chile, who now has three saves for this team from Middle Tennessee. Um, and the list really goes on and on. Carter Rustad, who's scheduled to be a weekend starter and hopefully keep it for much of the year, went to Staley High School outside Kansas City, but to San Diego for the start of his career, and now is in Columbia, Missouri. So it's always a new group, um, and how that mix happens between the old and the new is always something I'm fascinated with and ask about every year, and you know, talking to Steve Beezer and the coaching staff, from the time these guys got on campus, they liked their work ethic, they liked the way they committed to each other and to the program, and you know, Steve Beezer said before the season, he he's as excited or more excited than any group he's ever worked with as a college coach to work with these Tigers, which should tell you something about the fact that, yeah, it's a new team and also a new attitude and a bunch of guys who want to pull the rope in the same direction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, yeah, new guys, too, especially the pitching coach, which uh, we had um, this tragic passing of mm -hmm. what is, um, Brian, Brian DeLunas. Brian DeLunas. I always mispronounce his last name. Uh, passed away. Um, during the off season, so we do have a new pitching coach this year. So, you know, it was Mitch Plosmar, if I remember mm -hmm. correctly. So, 
interesting to see what he'll do with their pitching staff this year. So Yeah, and, you know, the story there is, uh, of course, a long battle with kidney disease for Brian DeLunis, and, and the imprints of Coach DeLunis is on this team. They're on this team everywhere. Mm-hmm. You know, he was really excited to get to work with this squad through the season while going through his own health issues that mm-hmm. have been going on for a long time. Dedication. And, you know, I, I, I spoke with him in November, and he said, well... If uh, this club has a seven or eight ERA like it did last season, I'll have a job for a year, and that's it. You know, he he understood. He was joking about that. Mm. He understood that this would be a different group, and he he found his imprints not only on the pitching staff but on the team at large, and on Mitch Plasmeyer, who worked as a right hand man of his uh, at the P3 Center in St. Louis. Uh, Mitch, of course, the brother of Michael Plasmeyer, who's a former Missouri pitcher who's now applying his trade in professional baseball. But uh, Mitch really learned at the right hand of Brian DeLunis. And so, he, in a way, it's like a continuation of, of what dynasty. had already been established uh, with him stepping into this role. I mean, it, I mean, Mitch probably understands that there are not <laughs> many people in his position at his age get to be the pitching coach of a Southeastern Conference team, but it was absolutely the right fit for this group. The staff loves him. He relates really well to them. And he and Steve Beezer and Brecken Williams, who uh, works on the support side for the Tigers, who decided to come back and give a little bit of extra support this season, um, they are providing a good base for the staff to work from and, you know, really for this team to work from at large. And there's a reason why the number 40 of Brian DeLunis hangs in the dugout for every single Missouri Tiger game home and road this season. They want to do it for DeLunis, and they have taken that mentality to uh, obviously some early success. Absolutely. 7-1 success to be precise. Definitely. We're going to take another quick break here on Out in Left Field. Don't go anywhere. Because once again, we'll be right back after this. With this new group of guys on the field, who is your guy to have a breakout season? Who are you, out of what you've seen so far, who's the guy to watch? Can I get a pitcher and a position player? Well, I, I believed before the season that it it was all in Josh Day's hands, and literally in his hands, because he had his hand injury, broke a hamate bone <laughs> after getting hit on the hand in the middle of last season, and he was about ready to take off on a rocket, I felt like. And then he just wasn't the same player after that. You could see how his hand injury slowed him down. He's healthy this season. He's hitting very well, leads the team in home runs entering this weekend, and I feel like the sky's the limit for him. He could be an impact, impact shortstop in the SEC by the time this is all said and done. He may be the most important offensive player for Missouri by the time it's all said and done. Pitching is a a little bit more nebulous, but I think that Austin Trusser really has an opportunity to break out. Um, You know, the, the stuff we've been hearing is so good. And 98 miles an hour plays anywhere. And he can touch it. And he's touched it this season. Um, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, he can touch 98. He went to my high school. So I <laughs> I, I, tr- I was trying out for our high school team with him. And he was hitting 90 his you know, you know, sophomore, junior year, something like that. So when you said Austin Chess, I'm starting to do a little happy dance here because I know him. Um, but 98. Yeah, he, he's done it in a game. And the thing we need to see from him is longevity. We Long- need to yep. see him go deeper in games. And we need to understand how all the stuff mixes. He had a couple of appearances in his freshman season, and quite frankly, they weren't good. Yeah, no. So an unknown quantity to people outside of Missouri baseball before this season, but in the early parts of this year, he's shown up and for the most part shown out, and if he can continue that, 
I mean, the heater plays anywhere. If he mixes up his pitches, he'll be able to be successful as the season progresses. Mm, absolutely. But the thing I found interesting is when I saw he was starting, it kind of shocked me because back in high school, uh, I was talking with him, and he goes, yeah, I don't like starting. I like closing. <laughs> and he goes, and I, say, I look at him, and I go, well, why is that? And he says, well, I just go up there and gas him. Like, well, makes sense if you're getting 90s and you're in high school mm-hmm. already. So uh, I was kind of shocked to see him starting. Uh, I mean, you know, five-inning outing his last time out. Uh, got the W, his uh, first career, if I remember correctly, for Mizzou. Uh, yes. And so a, a good moment for him. So he is starting today, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Uh, so hopefully we'll see what he has uh, coming out of his right arm. <laughs> Kid's got a lot of torque, that's for darn sure. <laughs> He's just what? 98, though. Um, so, let's see. What else? All right, so you were actually, uh, remember back uh, a couple weeks, about a week and a half ago, You, were, I believe you were the first one to mention um, Tony Newbeck's immaculate inning. I believe because I was listening to the game, and I think, I think you, I think you said something along the lines of, you know, Tex, this inning went by so fast, it actually was an immaculate inning. Nine pitches, nine strikes, three outs, or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. So, are there people behind the scenes that are helping you out with that stuff, or yes. is it mastery of the scorecard? Which, trust me, I tried that yesterday. The scorecard is absolutely just uh, <laughs> terrible. Everybody does it in their own way. No, we we have help. In fact, it was the fine sports information director for Bazoo, uh, Jacob Bell, who was watching and and his spidey sense tingled and noticed that actually during that inning, you know, during the game, I also compile the scoreboard that we do on our post-game show. And we do a full scoreboard with winners, losers, Mm -hmm. home runs, all that stuff. And it takes a while to put together. So I was in the middle of putting together part of that scoreboard during Tony Newbeck's inning. And so that divided my attention. It was hard for me to click it over. But Jacob Bell came in and he said, that was an immaculate inning. And then we both looked at each other and went, oh, doggone it, you're right. <laughs> so I mentioned it first. It could have been text for me. I, I don't know. But it was, it really was Jacob Bell sure who walked across the hall and made sure to point it out to us. And we were thankful for that. And, and then it wasn't just an immaculate inning. He went out and got the first one of the next inning on three pitches. At mm-hmm. one point, Newbeck threw 18 strikes in a row, which I can't remember the last time a Missouri pitcher did that. And he might have thrown one pitch other than just his straight two-seam fastball. He just charged Louisiana Monroe hitters, and it worked out. It was a sight to behold. It was it was absolutely, absolutely a, a very sight to listen to on my point. You watched it, I listened to it. So that was definitely a uh, very nice moment of history in uh, Zoo Tigers, um, which, again, we don't know if it's happened. So uh, mm-hmm. that was that was pretty special for him. And he's only a freshman yeah. for the left-handed uh, pitcher. Really nice control. Two-seam fastball, like you said, really good. Um, even in high school, he was ranked pretty high. I think he was like, was it like 10th or something in the state of Michigan or in something like that? In the state like of Minnesota. Minnesota, he, Minnesota, he was bad. pretty well regarded. You know, he came here to Columbia and was a walk-on. You mm-hmm. know, the team didn't know that they would be getting this out of him. He came here on campus and was hitting upper 80s, you know, more of a developmental type pitcher. So faster than I can throw. Well, <laughs> well, he worked on it, right? And so now he's tipping 92, 93. He really has added to his fastball. I think he's a very deceptive pitcher, and just with his frame and build, he'll remind Missouri fans a lot of one T.J. Sikama, who's one of the better pitchers that Steve Beezer has had here through his program. Sikama, his freshman season, was basically a super reliever, could eat up three or four innings, charged at hitters, had confidence in his stuff. 
hid the ball really well, was tough to pick up and to hit, and he was one of the better options in the SEC his freshman year. And this staff trusts Newbeck like they trusted Sikama towards the end of his run. I think the Tony maybe gets amped up a little bit in some of his outings. We'll need to understand how to deal with that pressure, especially as we get towards the league season. But the potential is absolutely there for great stuff from Tony Newbeck, and we've seen it already this year from him. Absolutely. As with a lot of new guys who have stepped up, I mean, you know, Spencer Miles carrying a pitching staff. He had Dolph Chester, who's, you know, pretty decent so far this season. Um, Nathan Landry came out, unfortunately. He did give up, uh, I think it was back to back home runs yesterday mm -hmm. in the home opener, along with a third one, two batters later. Um, but other than that, he had a strong outing. Uh, Austin Cheenley, really dominant last night, uh, I'd say. Um, the big cheese. Yeah. <laughs> it's just a fun nickname to say, honestly. Um, but, you know, yeah, definitely going to be an interesting pitching staff to watch this year. Yeah, I think so. There's just a lot more depth on this team, top to bottom. Pitching staff, uh, the hitters, you name it. There are more guys who can contribute in more ways on this team this year than a year ago. Part of that is age and experience for the returners. Part of that is the transfers fitting in real well to what Steve Beezer and staff want to do. Listen, there's a long way to go yet, but I think the way it's trending and the opportunities for growth that exist out there for this team could have them in a place that a lot of people didn't expect them when this year started. And um, the belief has always been there in that clubhouse. I think they're going to end up making believers by the time it's done out of a lot of observers who are coming around to what this Missouri team's all about. A believer, I'm also a believer of good base running, and that is something the Tigers have excelled at so far this season. I mean, there, what is it like? A, was it like probably 15, 16 streak of, of a, a well, I think it's successful now, stolen I think it's bases. now 21 of 21. 21, after 21 last stolen game. bases after last night's game. So they have not been thrown out yet. No. That's incredible. And. I mean, last night they could have had, they could have ended that streak. There was one throw where the catcher, it was in time. It was just mm -hmm. off to third base side. That was in danger because, you know, the runners, <laughs> he kind of tripped in his slide, I remember seeing. I was like, oh, dude, this is good, not going to be good. But no, base running has been very well executed by the Tigers so far this year. Um, unfortunately, fielding, last night they were charged three errors. I still say tar uh, Tarleton should have gotten two uh, at least. Um, Partly, I think, because the infield dirt turf. I think that's messing with them, honestly, because Tigers are handling it pretty well, but I've, I've watched Tarleton practice a bit. They're always going lower on the ball and always bounces up over their glove, and they're just dodging out of the way. I haven't seen dirt turf. It's just brown turf. Is, is that, like, something that a lot of stadiums just don't have? Well, it's common for northern teams, and Steve Beezer, when he came here, uh, wanted to make it uh, pretty evident that at the very least, the infield should be turfed, and the reason is just for practice time. You know, in a northern climate, it's hard to get out on a field and maintain it, especially if there's rain and snow and all the rest. If it snows one day and it's gone the next, the Tigers can play mm -hmm. on this surface, at least in the infield, where they couldn't as a northern team if it was all natural surface. For instance, at the University of Kentucky, they just did a $40 million-plus brand-new stadium. The entire synthetic surface, all the way through the infield and the outfield. It's something that a lot of college programs are coming around to because of the maintenance, because of the ease of getting on there when the uh, conditions are not as good. Um, and I think that these collegians, you know, they're they're pretty used to it by now, playing on surfaces that are at least partially artificial in the infield. Mm -hmm. I only have one question left in the books. Um, and before I ask you, do you have anything you want to say before I... 
You know, I, I don't think so, other than it's been a pleasure to be here with you and uh, to talk a little bit of baseball and yeah. talk about the Tigers, and glad you gave me the opportunity yeah. to come on with you. No problem. All right, so my final question. Might we need to rack your memory a bit. What's your favorite Mizzou Baseball Tigers moment that you've been in the booth for or been announcing for? Um, you know... You've got six or seven years to choose from. <laughs> there are there are many that are really neat. Um, a couple stand out, one of which is uh, a game at Tennessee on a getaway day in which Paul Gomez hit two home runs. And Paul was a light-hitting third baseman, or really probably not a natural third baseman, but he had the smarts, he had the instincts, and on this team he fielded the position very well. And he went out, and the Tigers really needed to win a game to keep their NCAA hopes alive and solidify standing in Hoover. And he went out as a senior, and he had two home runs in one game, and I don't think he did that ever again as a Missouri Tiger. I remember that fondly just because it, it was one of those baseball moments that anybody can do it on any given day. And it was cool to see someone like Paul do it, so I'll always remember that. I'll remember the games the Tigers played at Minute Maid Park at the Shriners College Classic in Houston. Those were uh, particularly memorable. Um, it, it's so hard to single out just individual efforts, but there are so many. Cameron Meisner hitting a walk-off bomb to hit the Divine Pavilion <laughs> to beat UIC early in a season a couple of years ago, and Cameron's going to make the show someday he's just that type of player you know um a, a, a complete game no hitter for the missouri tigers i saw a triple play on this diamond which i had never seen in person before uh actually forget the opponent off the top of my head but remember it was one bing bang boom find a couple of outs in the base paths on a caught ball and you find yourself three um uh, just so many good times spent here and you know good on the fans at Missouri for showing up for an opening night in the numbers they did and hopefully 1210 I think it was or 1300 something like that and that, that generally yes. doesn't happen on March the 4th you know no. there's uh, you'd always love to have more but it was engaged it was a rowdy crowd it was a lot of fun Very. And, and and hopefully many more as the season goes along and people Absolutely. understand what this club is all about but well, 27 home games left yeah 27 chances and to get may, more fans And maybe more. Year. You never know. they never got some know. games to add down the road. Never, really? Oh. Uh, it could be. <laughs> One of my season They're tickets will cover it. that. They're working on it. <laughs> All right. So, folks, uh, this has been an uh, interview with Matt Michaels of Mizzou Baseball. Uh, thank you for joining. And, well, go Tigers. <laughs> yeah, go Tigers. M-I-Z. I appreciate Z-O-U. it, Z-O-U. No problem. Alas, we have reached the end of our 26th episode. An extra thank you goes out to special guest Matt Michaels for joining me for this episode. See y'all next time on Out in the Field. This is Ryan Bexton signing off and saying good night and it's good to be back.